0: Okay, so Developer News, episode number 71 for Monday, December 9th, 2013. I'm
1: Ken Rimple. I'm John Kapadia.
0: And I'm Joel Confino. And we're here to talk about everything we're interested in in technology. Uh, by the time you hear this, you will be able to go to the brand new, brand spankin' new chariotsolutions.com website. Uh, and that is where we are now going to be hosting the podcast going forward. Um, we have rerouted all of the uh, podcast feeds, I hope, properly. So that uh, if you use a feed reader for this, within a couple days, it should sync up nicely. Uh, but if you go to the chariotsolutions.com website, you can now get to our blog, our podcasts, our screencasts, and our presentations just from a simple menu. At the top of the page, you'll see blog, postca- podcasts, and screencasts uh, in there. Uh, as well as our training under what we do training and other things as well. Um, so enjoy that. And uh, so this week, let's see. Um, we have a number of different things on here. Uh, who
2: wants to start? I'll well, we'll start with Roblox. Why not? Oh, yeah. um, this is a little fun, but it's also pretty interesting. So, Roblox, your kids might be playing Roblox, and it's possible that you uh, know about it or don't know about it, but I did not know about it. So, um, as it turns out, I was having lunch with somebody, and we were talking about Minecraft and how it's taking over the world. And uh, she said, Well, did you hear about Roblox? And I'm like, What is Roblox? It's like, Well, kids actually make games and then the other kids play them and it's all in this online programming environment for games where kids can create and play games and they're very sophisticated so I had to check this out so I joined Roblox you know and I don't and I uh, downloaded the studio which is like an IDE and this whole IDE studio thing lets you, uh, build games based on all kinds of templates. So you can start with a basic template, a strategy template, an action template, and uh, it's pretty sophisticated. It reminds me a little bit of uh, the Visual Basic, you know, studio. Neat. Like you have uh, workspace, you have players, lighting, uh, you know, different debris, teams. And it's very visual-based, but there is uh, programming. Obviously, you couldn't build an entire game with drag-and-drop. And these are pretty sophisticated games, but they share with, with Minecraft the low-resolution graphics. So essentially, Roblox, the company, built this uh, you know, entire system for building games and in, a, in a very sophisticated IDE. And um, their whole... I've yet to figure out exactly how they make money. I'm
1: not sure. Is it like a Minecraft on steroids, basically?
2: It is. It's like so. Minecraft is very creative in that you can build structures just like Legos, right? So Minecraft yes. is like Legos and very fun. Mm-hmm. Roblox takes it an entirely new, like it takes it way beyond where you can like literally build the entire game. So you're programming what happens, and people can build very sophisticated um, items that can be used in Roblox. So in other words, kids are building a lot of this, but I'm sure adults are too, Sweet. because. Um, You know, you could build a helicopter or something like pretty sophisticated, and and with physics and things like that. And and people do like there's hundreds of games. I went on there that that so you can join Roblox to build games, but you can just join Roblox to play games. And um, you know, there's there's just lots of games that people have made on all kinds of different um, topics, basically kinds of games. It supports first-person shooter and strategy and, and all kinds of things. It seems a lot build of a
1: game to mine bitcoins.
2: Ooh. Yeah, be... right. <laughs> yes, trick trick children into mining, mining bitcoins yeah, exactly. for you. Yeah, exactly. I like it. But uh, And then these games execute on the Roblox server, it looks like, is, is what it is because you, you only need the studio when you build them. But anyway, I thought it was a really interesting way to get kids into programming is obviously games. I mean, I learned most of what I learned about computers just trying to Configure my stupid Windows machines. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, why I, that's exactly why I to got play games. Well. And I tried to write games in Visual Basic when I first started, and that was horrible. You know, I was like, it was just, it didn't work very well. So this is, I think, an awesome way to get kids into uh, building, uh, into programming.
1: So, you, you, Visual you, Basic? You're way more advanced just than I am. I, say start, the same I started thing. with Quick Basic.
2: Yep, well, actually, I started with Basic, and then I went to Visual Basic. I should say, I actually was trying to write the games in Basic. Yeah. 10, 20, 30. <laughs> Line number basic 10. was an
1: awesome language for making, actually making games and like getting something up and running really quickly.
0: Yep, absolutely. I remember my Commodore 64. That was my uh, first you know, basic, and boy, that was a
2: nightmare. Peak and poke. Most yep. of my games never got beyond the, the splash
1: screen. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is going
0: to be awesome. Just wait till the next
2: splash
1: screen. Take me $30, <laughs> and I'll make the game. <laughs> exactly. So anyway,
0: so Roblox, Roblox, R-O-B-L-O-X.com. That is very cool. All right. So let's talk about offline web applications. Um, There was a, I found this article uh, by uh, Alex Farroki and uh, came out just on the fourth and um, on a listapart.com. And so this is actually kind of almost like a manifesto uh, that, you know, when you build a web-based application, You know, you have this ability to work with offline storage, but many applications use offline storage improperly. And so this is a nice little article talking about kind of the goals of really making an app tolerant to being offline and embracing offline. So focusing on having it offline first. And we heard of mobile first web apps. And now you see this kind of almost manifesto for offline first. And I think this is a really nice article, um, you know, it has a nice little introduction to the taking stock section. You know, talking about the fact that when you know the server was down before, you just get a an error page, and uh, and now that we have uh, in-browser databases like Derby.js, lawn Chair, Hoodie, and some others, he mentions mentions. So technically, it's becoming easier to have um, smarter in JavaScript databases. Now uh, they get pretty error pages. They get pretty error pages, yeah. But I mean, an in-browser database could be offline stored. And then you, you can actually kind of hold on to your state and do things like that. So basically he has a couple of major things there. He talks about the, the offline life cycle, stop treating it as an error. Um, so one of the things he says in problematic connectivity scenarios, the, one of the bigger ones is stop, stop treating offline like it's some sort of error. Um, you know, you should be able in your app, if you're going to embrace offline, to go on doing things and queuing things up and holding on to things locally. Like if you look at Instagram, Right? Uh, when a person can't post a photo, it calls it a failure instead of saying the image isn't lost. Right? So that's not good. So if you had some way where you could store the data locally and then queue it and send it up. And his comment there is, what about email? We've all been using email for years. And email is a casually connected program. You know? So see if you can do anything about that. Um, it has a couple other interesting scenarios, like what happens when you uh, refresh a page or you know, uh, if you're editing on Google Docs in something where it's a cheesy browser that isn't quite as sophisticated as Chrome or some of the newer ones, uh, you know, you you actually would go offline. It can't edit your document. Well, that's no good. So his point is that if you have some sort of offline state, there should be some way for you to actually um, do something offline and uh, not lose the data that you have locally until it gets connected again.
1: Um, actually, I'm- it's funny because along with this, uh, last week I saw – a uh, project on GitHub that was open source recently or something, I, either this month or a uh, few weeks ago, called store.js and mm-hmm. I think they ju- use it at Twitter maybe, but it actually encapsulates all the different local storage options, local storage, global storage, user data oh, like into one library thing. so you don't have to like deal with the intricacies of each of them, you can just store data basically and it takes care of how and where to store it.
0: That's very nice. Cool. Okay. Yeah, that'd be really useful being able to have that pluggable. Um, and then the other thing he brought up was handling conflicts, um, and among other things. You know, for example, he uses Evernote. You know, when you use Evernote and somehow it finds a conflict, it just gives you two different versions of the note and stamps them with different dates and times. Uh, but then he mentions draft is even better because it actually shows in three separate columns with an accept and ignore button kind of like merging code. Um, so, you know, there are ways you can deal with things like conflicts and things like that or chronological data. So read over this article. Again, It's actually, it's an easy URL, alistapart.com slash article offline-first. And, of course, we'll post that on the link. Uh, and he also uh, mentions a website they're putting together at called offlinefirst.org. Uh, and if you go there, you can uh, take a look at this manifesto, so to speak, uh, join up in the conversation, You know, sign up to be involved in the, in the mailing list. And, uh, and uh, they want to ultimately have some sort of style book for offline applications. So pretty interesting. Uh, let's see. Um, I will tentatively take the big O notation one next, uh, hence, because I am not a mathematician. Um, there's an interesting uh, stack overflow question and response. Uh, the question was, what is a plain English explanation of big O? Uh, as we all know, the mathematical formula. Um, with as little formal definition as possible in simple mathematics. And so this one guy got 3,152 checkboxes, <laughs> um, uh, and he has a nice little layout of what it is. Um, you know, so he shows different, uh, he shows different uh, pieces of information. Like an in addition is always a linear thing, right? If you add one number to another number, and it's a single digit, and then you add five digits to five digits, it linearly goes up by the number of digits that you have. So you know, there's a big O for that. Um, linear collect complexity, and they call that O of N. Uh, and then he talks about, um, like, multiplication, for example. And with multiplication, you have to multiply all the different pieces together. So that can go up, like, uh, uh, the, uh, a, a higher number. Now, I'm terrible with math, so I'm going to stop right there. But if you were curious about big O notation, this is one way of describing it. Anybody else have any thoughts as you're scanning through this? Uh,
1: this is actually, uh, yeah, it's a pretty decent something you know, summary of it, but it's kind of funny, like it's a complex topic and it quickly starts with something simple, but then goes to something pretty complicated yeah. right away. So there's, you get the world fuzzy and then you're like, uh, okay.
0: Now it hurts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think he was talking about multiplication was an O of N squared quadratic complexity where, you know, you basically, as you add more numbers, you have like a, a squared number of multiplications to do. Right. And so that means that it's going to scale in more of a, a squared way. Uh, and then he goes into the telephone book, and that's where he lost me. Right. Um, so, yeah. And if you are
1: interested in, in this kind of stuff, both Udacity and Coursera have really good courses on uh, algorithms and data structures, and they do a great job of uh, explaining this via examples and assignments. It's, it's like They're really good courses.
2: Cool. Yeah, excellent. All right. Uh,
0: anyone want to take another one?
1: We'll put this one on. I... You can do the BBC. Oh, no, I... I was, okay, I wasn't sure if we're going in order or not.
0: No, I I actually have a bunch uh, of my own in here, and uh, since we have a short amount of time, I think we should probably interleave them.
1: Okay, yeah, I can do this one. So okay, uh, BBC News, which does a whole bunch of software development as well, which I never would have thought of, actually. It's yeah. funny, these, these news companies are actually uh, producing a lot of open-source software lately. Mm-hmm. A thing called imager.js, which is supposed to help with responsive images. So basically, if you have a web page and you need to provide images, idea being for different devices, different resolutions. You don't want to have to either download all your assets or unnecessarily download extra assets. So you want to save bandwidth. So this sort of takes your page and you sort of put placeholders where your images are going to go and sizes that you need. And it sort of reads the DOM, looks at all that information and takes care of serving the images in a lazy loading fashion for the size that you need for the resolution. And it takes care of all of that behind the scenes. Once you've just done a little bit of a, updating your, your HTML a little bit. So it, it's pretty cool, and other people have also tried this as well, and there's actually HTML5 specs, thing called source set, which hasn't been implemented yet, where you're on your image tag, you can provide the different uh, resolutions or height, widths that you want, and then the browser is supposed to take care of which one to serve up. Right now, that's not implemented, so people are building libraries until that comes out. So it's pretty cool to see this, and it's cool to see in the comments, like Addy yeah, is using this as well, and he's one of the... He's getting he gets credited, so I'm guessing he's also a contributor to it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or at least a consultant or something on it. But yeah, it's it's pretty cool, and it's funny. Like we have to think of all these things now when you're building web pages. Like you can't just think of your one, you know, just a desktop anymore. And well,
2: retina, it, retina images driving nuts sometimes. Having to do oh, I know, stuff.
1: don't they? <laughs> yeah, so this
2: I'm gonna check this out.
0: Will this deal with retina image uh, resolutions as well?
1: I yeah. see
2: something on here pixel ratio. Yeah, so we see wow. CSS
1: media CSS3 media queries deal with yeah, uh, high density screens as well. So it's just a matter of the uh, putting that information and then I'll take care of it. Very as nice. long as you ha- as long as you have the in assets and you, you know, it'll know how to download them.
0: Fantastic. All right, and that's uh again we'll we'll post a link to the GitHub uh, repository, but their GitHub project uh, group page is bbc-news on github.com. So if you want to check out all the things they do, that's where it is and it's imager.js. All right, uh, advanced regular expressions. So this is mine. Um, I just went live as we mentioned with the website and when you consolidate websites, you invariably have a lot of redirects to do and redirects have a lot of regular expression fun in them. And so uh, as reading this morning, I found this and said, darn it, why couldn't I have found this <laughs> a week and a half ago when I was tweaking all my regular expressions?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, really good stuff here. So. For example, it goes into a lot of very specific uh, uh, examples for parsing for things like U.S. phone numbers. Uh, and they break down this complex expression into individual parts. Um, then they talk about uh, parse trees, um, uh, greedy versus ungreedy expressions. You know, a greedy expression eats everything, whereas an ungreedy expression you know, gives up to a certain point. Um, look ahead and look behind be- assertions. So you're seeing a pattern match that might follow the current match. If you were curious about that syntax, um, at least you have a chance at it now. <laughs> now they're doing it with Python as the example, but you know, and I'm pretty sure that some of this stuff would not work with with every regular expression tool. But especially if you're a Python developer doing regular expressions, this is a drop-in ready to use. It's on a website called PyPix.com, P-Y-P-I-X, and uh, it's by who's the person here? Uh, not listed. By anonymous. Uh, anyway, so PyPix.com. We'll we'll post link that to the show notes as well. All right. Uh who wants to take the next one? Do we have another one? How about testing bot?
1: All right, so it's pretty cool. Someone has actually talked about why they ditched their usage of Amazon Web Services. And hmm. I'm not surprised when I read it. I'm like, okay, that sounds like two really good reasons. So basically it comes down to they have two reasons here. Uh, they're they're built they're using that as their you know cloud service for whatever apps that they're hosting. They basically went away from Amazon and AWS because they're saying concept of noisy neighbors. Where uh, so the article says sometimes instances would behave much slower than usual because other people on the same hypervisor were all using the hypervisor's resources. Yep. So you lose predictability of of performance, which is definitely critical if you're you know you're, if you're doing something highly customer oriented or whatever. And it's also expensive. They're saying the AWS is expensive. As soon as we start an instance, we're built for the entire hour, even if we only needed to run a two minute test on it. So, and I've heard, I've, I've heard software uh, where like predicting the costs for AWS is is a lot tougher. Like you really have to keep on it and and follow very closely what's going on to figure out what your bill's going to be, so it doesn't go skyrocket. Well, that's a good and, point. And what they ended up going to was something called grid centric, which. Uh, Let's see, what, it, what is that exactly?
0: So it's another service, another cloud provider?
1: Yeah, it's, 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 I guess it's, it's built on OpenStack. Oh, okay. So it's, uh, yeah, get more done with fewer servers, lower your total cost of ownership, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it's another visualization sort of cloud-based service, but I guess you have to you have to do more more of the lifting than what Amazon does for you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's, uh, yeah, based on OpenStack, and they're having a, a much better time with that, and they're saying their performance is faster, they're able to control the way they want it, and it's a lot cheaper. So that's always cool just to hear someone kind of with an alternative go away from the you know the the drug the cocaine that's AWS <laughs> yeah <laughs> don't don't you mess with my AWS man um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. it's like once you're on that I mean it's like you know it's really tough to get away just because it, it does so much yeah yeah it really yeah. does
2: yeah as having a service you know since Hado we've run on AWS we've been really happy with it but uh, the noisy neighbor thing I've never encountered. Um, there are. I've heard network slowness stuff can happen. We haven't encountered that. Um, the expensive part, it can be very expensive. It just depends, but um, it also can be really cheap, which sounds weird. But when you run stuff all the time, there's reserved instances. So basically, your on-demand prices are more expensive. But if you say we're really going to run this server for you know 24 by 7, then the price goes down by like a third or something like really. Oh, then they just
1: give you that server basically.
0: You, it's serious. actually not
2: even the server itself but you just say we're just going to pay you this yeah they okay. have, and the thing is like it's every key. couple of months the prices is yeah, dedicated every okay. couple of months the prices just go down however what i've heard from um my friends on the inner tubes when you're at extreme scale where aws gets you is not the uh not actually the cpu costs which are mm-hmm. relatively comparable uh it's actually the bandwidth charges inside in and out if you had like a top like a, a really you know high bandwidth website okay. so when you're small um it's not as big of a deal uh, but when you get like massive then you would pay more than it would cost you to run your own infrastructure kind of stuff but that's that's just my take on it but for us it's been uh, very cheap and actually pretty awesome cool but yeah it's interesting to to get everybody's opinion yeah, yeah i
1: wasn't trying to knock it it was, it was just interesting. no 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 so no, no opinion just, yeah
2: all right. Totally, totally fine that you just took a shot at my entire infrastructure. <laughs>
1: hey, it'll make it'll make it stronger.
2: <laughs> it's getting
0: hot in here, so drop all your AWS. Sorry, for the
1: record, I haven't even used AWS myself. I just thought the article was interesting because it's good to hear the the little voice out there that tries to go against the you know the current the wave.
2: Absolutely, there needs to be other providers out there for sure.
0: Oh God, hold on. I'm gonna pause this for a second. Hold on. So let's see here. Uh, it's been a lovely day for weather in, in the, uh, the mid-Atlantic region, probably at the whole eastern half of the country. So uh, we're doing coordination, which is why I had to pause um, with kids. All right. So I want to talk a little bit more about our new Borg. Uh, it was Java for a long time. Then it was Ruby on Rails for a long time. You know, the Borg from Star Trek that takes over everything and and everyone around it just gets taken over. Um, <laughs> So Node.js is big. It's still getting bigger. This is web web. can't say that fast, by the way. Um, and I, here's something I didn't know. I didn't realize that Walmart went to Node.js. But uh, then um, it turns out that they moved to Node and they dropped some Rails applications as well. Uh, so they list, they, linked, list it, they list LinkedIn and Walmart. And also now they're moving along for support for Joyent. Um Joint is the company uh, that's doing support a lot of sites. They're now expanding their support for Node to include uh, Linux, Solaris, OmniOS, and their own SmartOS. So it turns out that this provider is making sure that they have uh, provi- uh, provide support for it because of the fact that so many big companies are moving to it. And that was completely incoherent. But <laughs> you can yeah, use no, that I've as information. It. Yeah,
2: No, that makes sense. And the catch there is big companies won't move to it until somebody's mm-hmm. there to with commercial support. That's also expensive.
0: Yeah, exactly. So there we go. Expensive commercial board for Node. I'm just going to move on unless someone wants to comment on that one.
2: No, it's just, you're right. It's starting to take over. It's interesting. It's uh, JavaScript. I mean, if you look at the number of
1: modules on NPM when you go on the registry, it's just like staggering. It's like one of those, okay, it does everything now.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's funny though. I. It's just like to me, a lot of the uh, Maven uh, stuff that's out there. Sure, there are a ton of projects out there, but probably a fair number of them are garbage. Um, so we're going to have the same population of garbage projects everywhere. Um, exactly. You know, I don't know what the the barrier of entry is to submit an NPM package. Does anyone know?
1: I'm a little, I don't know myself. I don't think there's, I don't think there's much of a an barrier at all. Yeah. My concern is I hear a lot of people talking about node and they just start using it. And there's tons of people out there that use it, but they have no idea. How it actually runs and what it's really meant for. Oh, I know. Like it's, it's not meant. For, it's meant for I/O intensive tasks, not CPU bound tasks. If you're doing CPU bound stuff with a node, you're you're in, you're in for trouble.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. All
1: right. Uh, why don't we talk about an hour of code? Oh, so this is pretty cool. I didn't even know about this. Uh, it's something I guess that Mark Zuckerberg and uh, Bill Gates are promulgating, as mm-hmm. well as a bunch of other like luminaries out there and CEOs and stuff of big tech companies, but. Their basic premise is they want to teach people how to code, how to program. People that have never really done any of that before. And this hour of code thing is starting this week where basically for one hour you code and you learn how to code. And they're trying to like get – they have like almost 2 million – 1.2 million participants here. I don't know how many of those are actually going to be doing the thing. But you will end up uh, using a very simple programming language like a drag-and-drop programming language that has uh, conditionals, loops, Uh, I think simple functions, things like that, that interact with, like, the computer, with the graphics and sounds and stuff. And people are going to learn how to code. So they just want people to get exposed to some sort of coding, learn what high-level programming is, and, like, dedicate time to it. So they're doing that this weekend. I think they're putting up a lot of money up front to sort of do all this because they're not getting anything out of it. Right. It's purely purely to donate time to teach uh, kids how to code. So they actually want pretty much anyone from any age, you know, it could be uh, middle school kids, high school kids, even, you know, older people, people in the industry, uh, just to basically do an assignment for one hour. And they're going to, uh, I think it's collaborative as well. And there's going to be like mentors and people that actually teach you and help you out. i have to read more about it, but uh, it can work on any device. So they, they're trying to make it as easy as possible to get onto a device and start coding and learn it.
0: And it seems like there's some sort of, uh, uh, they're calling it computer science education week, which is today through the 15th. Right. Very, very neat. Yeah, I should show my kids this one. That and then really they actually, I guess,
1: have, like, if you want to do stuff after this hour of code thing, like, they have a bunch of videos and tutorials and things to continue further, which is pretty cool.
0: Interesting. Very cool. All right. C- yeah, that was actually really cool. Yeah, C-E-S, oh, I'm sorry, C-S-E-D week.org. It says here,
1: build an iPhone game just in your browser, completely in your browser. That's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, it links to some interesting, tool, uh, basically, languages, I guess, Like uh, yep. which I think we had talked about, scratch.mit.edu, which is right. uh, browser-based and some other stuff. Uh, really cool stuff. Uh, kids, if you can do something fun like build a game, then they're going to learn how to code.
1: Yeah, and I'm pretty jealous.
0: Yeah, and hopefully this stuff stays up here for them to use later. That's great. Yeah. All right, cool. Moving on. Um, I was once called... Uh, <laughs> So this is a funny one. Don't call them techies. does, does it bother either of you to be called techies? It
1: doesn't bother me. No. Depends on what the person means by techie. If they mean super smart programmer, then I'm okay with it. <laughs> if they mean some I like I that I'm just the neighborhood, you know, geek that tweaks computers and fixes stuff, then no, I don't like it. <laughs>
0: right, right, right. So it turns out that I actually had and, and you know who you are if you ever listen to this podcast, I had someone in a company I worked for once that referred to techies as techie pukes. I nice. kid you
2: yeah, because basically no, no, he felt... Yeah, what's that? In all fairness, though, that's not the worst thing you've been called. This <laughs> We've worked together. But it's just the this 10. morning, yeah. Um, <laughs> what's yeah, that puke? As as like a, vomit. Like, you mean why did they say it? I don't know. What yeah, did, because...
0: I, well, so I think it's because he must have had a bad experience. This, this is a man, there was a generation gap issue. Yeah. Um, very wide generation gap issue. And he ran a company that was a technical company. Um, the issue was... That he looked at techies as if they were expendable, right. um, and even though he would give lip service that he didn't, he called them techie
2: pukes. Oh, and yeah. um, the expendableness of technical people—that is—that does drive me crazy. That, gets, that gets under my skin my... right away.
0: One person is not another. Period. Right. We know, we're not—you know—we're not, in, you know, we're not uh, right. composable parts. You know. Exactly. Um, but uh, anyway, so this is a, just an interesting article on InfoWorld uh, talking about how the techie oppression must end now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, now the funny thing is robert x cringely wrote, wrote this and i love his articles um but uh but yeah he says do you know who really hates being called hipsters those guys wearing pork pie hats thrift store sports coats with the sleeves pushed up the elbows ripped jeans and 1500 hundred dollar custom eyewear <laughs> 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 they're actually called i love this digital bohemians and aspiring glass holes <laughs> I'll leave the rest of it out. This is like one of the <laughs> funniest articles. I love this guy. Anyway, so JavaWorld.com, um, Robert X. Cringely. He's he's been around forever. He used to work for Computer World and do all sorts of funny articles in the back of that.
1: Yeah, and he seems pretty outspoken about this. or oh, passionate he's, about this topic. It's
0: tongue in cheek, but it's hilarious and yeah. uh, it's a techie puke. But uh, yes. So techies, it's uh, not necessarily, you know, not necessarily all completely uh, serious, but it is a funny article to read up yeah. on. So I enjoy. like how the
1: beginning of the thing says, so like coders, developers, programmers, app designers, geeks, whatever you call them, it's clear they're building the future before our very eyes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it would be like more oppressive, except for most of the super really successful rich people are techies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so
0: it's funny how that changed, because back then, this was probably 2006, 2007, there were only a couple of good examples you know, yeah. one of them being, you know, the craziest techie of them all, you know, Steve Jobs. So, but now it's it's like it's the mainstream. All right. Uh, how does the Bitcoin protocol actually work?
1: So, this is a great article. I just wish he could turn this into a presentation with, like, some pictures and slides and it would be a lot better because it's just all text and it's really long. Oh, wow. So, you, gotta like, you have to read through all of it to get the gems. But he basically starts from, like, not from Bitcoin, but from a very simple example of, of just about money. And okay. he, sort of takes it step-by-step step and turns it into what Bitcoin is. So it's sort of telling you how Bitcoin works, starting from a very simple example. So I read most of it, and it's definitely eye-opening, and it helps me understand Bitcoin a lot better. But I think he just needs to turn it into a presentation with some pictures and break, break the text up, and it'll be a lot better.
0: Right, right. Okay, yeah, so if you're curious and you want to spend all the time reading this yeah, It's giant... really
1: long, but it's worth the read if you're interested in it, for sure.
0: Guess what icon I'm clicking on my toolbar right now? Pocket. You ever use Pocket? What it's is that? that? Oh, Pocket's great. You remember the thing that used to be called InstaPaper?
1: Yes. Yes. So
0: Instapaper was a reading tool that you get for iPhone, iOS, tablets, stuff like that. So they, they changed the the project. They call it Pocket now, and it's a little quick toolbar and you can do tags and put descriptions in for the stuff. But it's got a great reader app. And this is exactly the kind of thing that goes on like a long term like reading a novel, you know? It's mm-hmm. so big I have to actually read it in Pocket. So yes, that it made it made the list.
2: I do read later. There's a plugin called Read Later. Oh, that's read a good later. one. I like Read Later. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, for me it's Read Never, but it just makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah. So Read Later in
1: Pocket. Okay. Pocket, oh, I like Pocket. Yeah. Do they work do they have like mobile versions as well?
2: Oh yeah, both of them do.
0: All right. Uh, Google Robots and Andy Rubin. Uh-oh.
1: What's this? Yeah, so Andy Rubin who's actually the head of the Android effort at Google. Uh-huh. He's on this like buying binge of robotic companies so google just i guess not just maybe in the past year or two years they acquired seven different robotics companies that do like high-end robotic companies that are doing some crazy stuff so they basically have the you know the intellectual property and the rights and the the intellectual power now to build like robots that are you know like human like humanoid robots all these companies that are buying would lead one to believe and that's what the article says that they want to build something like that
0: so wow. they have all the knowledge of the world and they're going to have robots walking around.
2: This is not a good <laughs> that,
0: thing. Yeah, with oh, that gosh. knowledge.
2: who? Well, we need somebody to fight the Amazon. Google. Go ahead. No, we no, need no, somebody no. to fight the Amazon drones. You know, so, <laughs> so Google's army will fight them. One if by land, two if by sea or air.
1: So. Which makes me think Google Glass is just a way to get training data to make these robots more <laughs> like it's scary. Right,
2: it's just so the robots know what you're seeing.
1: Don't get cocky, kid. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can
0: see where this is going. Wow. But, uh, but actually, I'm thinking of so the mean, Star Wars turret Google's scene. Google's
2: a search engine company. What are they doing with all these robot companies? Now that and does. Then, and then imagine that, that in the
1: car. Like it would be funny. To ha- it would be kind of meta if you had the robot driving <laughs> a driverless car. Seven
2: robot companies.
1: Robot,
0: what's on my calendar today? We're not going to do that. We're going to ditch and go to the mall.
1: Robot. I mean, okay. somebody- Yeah, it be okay, Google robot. <laughs> right.
2: Right. I mean, if you could like, be a rideable mech, that I would buy. I just,
1: yeah, it's just really weird. You'll have a driverless car with two robots in it with, like, weapons that'll, like... <laughs> yeah, I don't want to know.
2: Okay,
0: we really are techies. Let's move on to the next one. Scary. Scott Adams. I love Scott Adams. What does he have to say about goals uh, versus systems?
1: So, this is funny. I, you know, I haven't read Dilbert in a while, but this is really cool. Very, very uh, sort of, a. Uh, it reflects a lot on stuff. but uh, So, the yeah. idea of, like, goals... Where, like, let's say you want to lose weight or something, so you say, "Okay, I'm going to only eat these things, or I'm going to reduce my diet, blah, blah, blah." But it's really tough to stick to your goals or to f- follow that because you have you may set a goal, but there's no process to achieve that goal. So he sort of says, like, you know, reframe your goals as as systems, where you don't say, "I'm I want to reach this one point," You're gonna, I'm going to institute a system where, okay, I'm going to try to live a more active lifestyle, or I'm going to try to choose healthier options, where you don't like impose. One goal on yourself that that makes it really tough to you just sort of like incrementally introduce things into your into how you do something that make it easier to implement. And uh, I think as developers, this is kind of a really good idea and it's sort of an agile way of looking at things. Where we sort of you know make deadlines and and these lofty goals and like, that are very tough to you know either deliver on or implement. But if we try to break it up and and sort of follow a system of how we're going to implement these things instead of just drawing lines in the sand, I think we can be a lot more successful. So I, I like this idea of looking at, looking at implementing systems versus goals.
0: Cool. cool. and then you can have a robot enforce the system. <laughs> no, no. It was funny. Laugh. He,
1: he, <laughs> in the article he makes a really cool points like my, goes, my problem with goals is that they're, they're limiting. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Like, you know, once you've, you know, if you focus on a particular goal, your odds of achieving it are better than if you have no goal. But you also miss out on opportunities that might have been far better than your goal. Whereas the system sort of allows you to, because the system, however, simply move you from a game with low odds to a game with better odds. Hmm. And you may, you're more flexible to try out different things.
0: So, is this kind of like saying, you know, instead of uh, focusing on losing 10 pounds of weight, I'm going to change my diet so that I eat Mediterranean foods and da 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 da? And then, because I have that particular mind view of the types of things I want to eat, as opposed to the goal of every day doing X and Y and checking it off on a list, I'm thinking differently, and therefore I'm enjoying it more. And I'm exactly yeah. exactly
1: that's exactly the point he makes. There we go. Oh,
0: I like now it. I wish I could do that too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's it then. I think right. We got everything. I believe so. All right. Well, that's it. We have a crazy day today, so I'm gonna have to sign off now. So uh that's it for the developer news again remember you can now get to us from chariotsolutions.com and actually i think i even have a link let me double check that it's here hold on chariotsolutions.com slash dev news does it work yes so if you use chariotsolutions.com slash dev news that is now the short link to our developer news page Uh, And you can subscribe through the RSS and iTunes feed links right there. Great job, Ken. uh, I didn't do it. it looks really nice. (laughs) I didn't do it. I just talked to a really good WordPress guy. Um, But, yeah, so, so it looks a lot better than it did, and you can play them right off the main page, or you can click and get the show notes. So remember to go there for those podcasts. And while you're there, if you've never seen the rest of our stuff, plunk around at what we do. Also, in that Blogs, Podcasts, and Screencast area, you'll see all of our blogs that we write, some screencasts from a lot of our different shows. I'll be loading... Uh, a lot of content from the science of, I'm not from the data IO show that we recently did on the screen SAS section this week. So take a look there. And, uh, other than that, you know, enjoy and that's it. So for the developer news for Monday, December 9th, 2013, I'm Ken Rimple.
1: I'm Sujan Kapadia.
2: And I'm Joel Gonfino. Make it a fantastic week.